0: we want to make sure that the impact of this film is not only in terms of art and they can be inspired or whatever but that There's we a physical as, tangible yeah, yeah. Uh, we as a film community are actively and tangibly giving right. back to that
1: community my name is west gibbons and welcome back to the tungsten originals podcast you just heard part of my conversation with taylor wedding Taylor is in pre-production for her senior thesis film, Fix-It Box, which is a love letter to family and additionally, the deaf community. We discussed her inspiration for the script, the importance of finding a deaf actor for the lead role, and the impact she hopes this film has. There's a link to her Indiegogo campaign in the description of this episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 41 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Taylor, welcome yes. to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Of course, this is so exciting! I yeah. really, low key, I have always been super jealous of everybody that's been asked to be on the podcast. <laughs> oh, really? And then I like you were
1: always on the list. Oh. I have a mental list. I have a mental list. No, you were one of my original film people here at SCAD because yeah, we, we met, food together. yeah, in Film 100, which is our very first film class here mm-hmm. at SCAD, for, for what, four years now, four yeah. years ago now, because it was fall now. quarter freshman year. That's crazy!
0: Oh my gosh, I'm getting <laughs> sentimental.
1: That's really insane to think how far we've come. Um, you're here to talk about your lovely senior thesis film, Fix It Box. Um, mm-hmm. but before we dive in to, sure. you know, that story and everything, I do want to talk about how we met and like your story and stuff like that. So, yeah. I met you beginning of freshman year here at SCAD. But you know, what's your story? leading up to this, how did you get involved in art? When was camera work something that was like interesting to you? You know, how did film get introduced to the life of Taylor Wedding? Yeah,
0: for sure. When did Taylor
1: become artsy Taylor? Oh
0: God. Well arts <laughs> artsy Taylor has existed since like the seventh grade. Nice. But uh she was not nearly as artsy as she thought she was. Right. Um but I did like theater and a bunch of stuff like that in high school. I was always involved in the arts and did
1: Oh, so you did acting? Yeah. I actually I
0: originally came to SCAD on a performing arts scholarship. So I got this like scholarship in high school and it was gonna apply to my college and they basically said like, Oh, I got it for acting, but they kinda said If you keep it within, like, the entertainment arts college, then you can still keep the money and do what you want to do with it. And I was like, oh, well, that's great because I don't want to be an actor professionally because I have so much respect for those people and I could literally never do what they do. It seems exhausting to me. So
1: why were you doing it?
0: Um, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. I just knew I didn't want to do it professionally. Okay. If I ever did do it professionally, I'd want to do voice acting just because it's fun. Yeah.
1: And, and nobody do would have to see my face. Yeah, <laughs> right, it exactly. That
0: was honestly a huge concern. I didn't want anyone to look at me. It was great.
1: <laughs> well, then acting is definitely not the field to go into. <laughs> exactly. If exactly. that's like your number one concern.
0: <laughs> um, okay.
1: So even yeah. even farther back than that, like, do you come from an artistic family? <laughs>
0: Uh, my poor mother if she listens to this is gonna roll over that was the most
1: genuine laugh
0: (laughs) no uh my parents are not artistic whatsoever um but yeah i i did like photography in high school i did that a bunch i drew and did that kind of junk i did one film like my (laughs) my senior year of high school I did a Hunger Games fan film wow. because my friends and I were like super, super duper into the Hunger Games. Yeah. Actually, I honestly have Suzanne Collins to thank for film school because <laughs> low nice. Key like... Well, she I'm, is
1: listening, so...
0: She, thank you, Suzanne.
1: Oh <laughs> She's our gosh. number one I'm fan. i a huge fan. <laughs>
0: But, uh, yeah, I made mean, a really ratchet Hunger Games fan film. It was nice. really bad, but it was fun. We spent, like, two weeks running around in the Texas nature preserve heat in the dead <laughs> of summer. Was uh, this before
1: the movies came out?
0: Yeah, I think it was in between, like, uh, Hunger Games and Catching Fire.
1: Okay, gotcha. Um,
0: It was just fun. We, like, ran around in the heat. We had people mm. covered in fake blood. And what was really cool was one of my friends growing up went to this really cool acting studio in Dallas and had a ton of connections with people there so like we got all these like actors to come oh, be nice. in it and a lot of them are doing really cool stuff now. Right. One of them actually just got, like, a film in Sundance, one models professionally now. Like, they do really cool wow. stuff. And then my big dummy butt, uh, <laughs> my hard drive that all the footage was on, totally crashed. Oh,
1: no. And
0: I didn't back it up because I was a, a right. youthful little girl yeah. who had who no thinks brain. thinks data is, like, indestructible. And I was like, data is real no matter where
1: it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And uh, so I have no proof oh, that I worked no. with any of those people. <laughs> right. And that's the saddest part. So oh, That's
1: rough. I feel like every... Film student has a story of like, I didn't back it up and I lost yeah. it all, which makes us like, now we back up everything mm-hmm. all the time.
0: And sometimes it takes you like five or six of those stories right. to understand oh, not only do I need it like on an actual hard drive and not like four like USB sticks, but <laughs> yeah. like multiple hard drives exactly. would be great,
1: yeah, and the cloud, and yeah, like, and
0: the cloud, and, and, and you need one somebody drive to else's be at home. hard drive, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Have one that's just it literally never leaves a singular location, you exactly. keep it in like. What are the what are the things that Walt Disney is like frozen in cryogenic freezers? There we go.
1: (laughs) I love how that was your reference for what those were. (laughs) (laughs) I keep it next to my Walt Disney head that I stole from Disneyland. (laughs) Um, Okay, so like coming to SCAD, did you even know when you were applying? Like, I'm going to go, but not as an actor.
0: I knew that I would have to do something in the entertainment arts college to like keep my scholarship. scholarship, right? So, um. I was kind of originally I was a photo and film double major. I remember
1: that. And yes. I remember when you told me I was like, "Wow." Yes. That's stupid. Sounds rough. Stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, just double majoring is hard. Like Yeah mad props to anybody who can do it because that's what
1: Lee's doing he's been double yeah. major in film and performing yeah. arts for this whole time it's
0: crazy yeah. and, and he's
1: like I would not do it again he says yeah. it all the time
0: and he's essentially like a double full time student exactly. while also having a job Yeah, like just trying to be a person I have so much respect for that because and he's been here for like 10 wow. years yeah yeah, it's crazy <laughs>
1: right. he's, he's ancient he's actually 40 <laughs> he's
0: an old man in a teenager's body <laughs>
1: exactly except
0: he's 22 something
1: like that something like that Yeah, he's
0: not a teenager <laughs>
1: right so was Film the obvious like choice out of, you know, your three pronged approach of either performing arts or film or photo. Ooh. Like, why did you you were double majoring? You obviously dropped one of those to a minor. Mm-hmm. What was the decision process to choose film over photo?
0: I really enjoyed photo, and I still do. I do it all the time over yeah. the summers. I'll do weddings and senior photos right. and stuff like that. But I just found film to be more uh, challenging. Sounds like a cop out word, but it just more I like. Don't think so. There was more to it, I guess. And it was a lot more interactive in some ways. Like, as a photographer, I got to meet a lot with my models or with couples that I would shoot for weddings and all that kind of jazz. But on film sets, you know, there's like tons and tons of people that do such a huge multitude of jobs. Yeah. And it was really cool just to be able to go on sets and kind of see wow, you know, you see movies that get made and. Theaters and you go watch a movie in the movie theater and you're just like, wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah. I wonder what it took to get there. And then mm-hmm. if you sit there for credits, you realize there's literally hundreds of names doing hundreds right. of jobs, and seeing kind of the diversity of the realm of filmmaking mm-hmm. was really intriguing. It wasn't as honed in and limited as right. not that photography is limited, but there was just a bigger scope to certain elements. Yeah,
1: of it. I mean, there's not going to be like on. Reconnection episode three, we had like thirty three people. There's mm-hmm. not gonna be like a photo team of thirty three people unless it's covering the Super Bowl or whatever and yeah. there's like twenty photographers and thirteen 100%. assistants or like whatever it is. And the cool Obviously, thing it too varies, but...
0: the cool thing too with film is you don't ever get to be the one person that takes all the credit. Like right. as a photographer, yeah. if a shoot goes well, you're the sole kind of advocate of success and if it goes poorly you're the sole advocate of failure whereas on a film set it is so collaborative and so essential to work with good people who work together well to make good things if something succeeds there's no element of like wow i did that that's my thing you get to sit down and go wow we did that Mm -hmm. it's just a cool kind of scope into like what people can do when they come together and mm-hmm. make something really beautiful and sometimes more expensive. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, so did you labor yeah. over that decision a lot? Or like when did you yeah. decide to, to think... not do that? When did I? Not to do the that? two major thing.
0: Honestly, I kind of decided just because I didn't want to spend the extra money right. to do two majors. I mean, it's two paying full for extra degrees. Yeah, yeah, it's two full degrees. But it yeah, it really wasn't a hard decision, I don't think. I was kind of in the mindset of I know the things I like to do in photography. Mm-hmm. It's it's weddings, it's seniors. I don't I'm not immediately drawn to shooting on film and large format and that kind of stuff. Right. And things that you need tons and tons of like education for. I'm more drawn mm-hmm. to digital formats and kind of that sort of realm.
1: Is that just because that's what you grew up doing? Yeah, it's what I grew yeah. up
0: doing and
1: it's super accessible, too. Yeah,
0: super accessible. Literally, I say this all the time. Anybody can be a photographer like right. 100%. That's yeah. not to negate the talent of photographers. Of course. But anybody can learn to monitor and operate the equipment. But mm-hmm. it takes the eye yeah. of a photographer to be a photographer kind yeah, of. Yeah, for sure. But anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a photographer and you're like, oh, well, I I don't know if I can. Go find out. Go do it.
1: Right. You can learn
0: as much as I know and more. Much more likely way more because I have a very small brain. (laughs) It it has reached max capacity and most of it is filled with My Favorite Murder episodes. (laughs) So um... Of course.
1: Of course. As it should be. As it should be. As it should be. The
0: viable information.
1: All you need to know to survive. Yes, you get from that
0: exactly. Thank you, Karen are. Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. Exactly. Shout out. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, they're listening. They will. Um, like I said, we met in Film 100, and that's like the intro film course. Mm-hmm. It's where like everyone kind of gets on the same page of like film knowledge and stuff like that, or at least starts that process. And it ends with us having to make um, a short film, and you directed that, and we also co-wrote the script. Mm-hmm. So, before that, was the only thing that you had made, film-wise, that Hunger Games yes. thing? Okay. So, what 100%. was that experience like? Going in a bill? Yeah.
0: I was very different. Yeah. Um I was very used to doing everything on my own, mm-hmm. and I think getting a huge group was yeah. awesome. And. I think you talked about it on the episode with Seth. Like, mm-hmm. we met some of our best friends. Oh, like, yeah. Our best film Kara friends. Kara was people, first AD. Lizzie was there. Tommy. Tommy
1: shot it. We're, we've all worked together continually up and yeah. up to now and still, and, you know, hopefully we'll even Forever, after school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
0: it was just really cool to kind of be on such a group of people that were so hardworking but also so willing to learn and yeah oh my gosh, we learned so much. That set was full of mistakes and bumps in the road, as any set is. Yes. It was just really cool to be able to experience that like with all the people yeah. that we're still with now mm-hmm. and to get together with them and just be able to be like, hey remember that time we did something <laughs> stupid or silly and we're like, Yeah. Right. Isn't it great that we don't do that anymore? Exactly. And yeah. um but it was really fun. Boo was Boo was wild. I had never yeah done anything in such a big group but it was really cool
1: yeah and i think i think we had the biggest crew out of the whole class yeah and i
0: i think i have to give that credit to seth because i didn't know a soul in the film
1: i don't know how he already knew people but he just did somehow Seth
0: just like i think found people on the street and was like hey you look like a film major you want to be on a set and they kind of went okay
1: great and somehow they were great. And, and somehow it. they
0: were amazing. Yeah. And we still work with them now.
1: Exactly. So shout out to Seth. For shout joined. out to Seth Cunningham. Um so you, you know, you you co-wrote and, and directed that. Uh when did you start DPing things at SCAD? Because you're like known as a cinematographer primarily. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a compliment. Thank you. You're like on the short list of Aww, like the great DPs here at SCAD. That's
0: very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> um I'm trying to think of the first thing I actually like, my official title was, like, DP. Right. Because I did, like, when Noah, Shuna, and Joseph Ahn were all here, I helped them on a few sets, and right. I just kind of, like, shadowed them and yeah. watched them do camera things, and um just kind of slowly but surely would do... I did a ton of projects where, like, I was the only person on camera, and they were really small projects, and yeah. just kind of building up with that. I did a lot of video of, like, models when photographers would do stuff. I'd be like, hey, can I join along and just do some pretty video shots of them and would do that. So mm-hmm.
1: was that just because you wanted to do it for fun or, mm-hmm. or were you trying to learn more about cinematography?
0: I'm, I'm still learning, trying to learn about oh, yeah, cinematography. Of course. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, as we all are. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause it's changing every day. There's so yeah. much stuff. There's so many new things. <laughs> It's cool. It's so so cool. Yeah,
1: I love it. I love that it's that it's always changing.
0: And that's the cool thing about like film as an industry is yeah. you know what it is now for us is going to be different for the next generation of filmmakers sure. that come in and the ones that come in after that and it's going to yeah. be crazy. It's like an and on you know it's its own science in a way. It's always oh, evolving right. yeah. and changing, which yeah. is really cool and. Ethically, it's changing too, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. We love that. Yeah, exactly. Bye, bye, Harvey Weinstein's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the original question? <laughs> when did I like camera? Well, thing? yeah, I
1: was just asking when you started deeping because I just remember whenever reconnection came around, you know, you and Michael mm-hmm. shot. Michael shot episode one. You shot episode two. Then Michael shot episode three, but it it looks amazing in in all of the the camera side of things. Thank you. So yeah, I guess I was just wondering like when you started getting more onto that stuff, but mm. also like Was cinematography the obvious route because of your background in photography? Because, like, the knowledge of how aperture and shutter speed and, like, Mm -hmm. ISO works is almost a one-to-one ratio in terms of, like, if you understand photography.
0: Then you'll understand the elements of cinematography. It's just on a more, like, graduated scale, Right. It's just
1: moving instead of still. Mm -hmm. So was that just the obvious progression for you?
0: I think it was the obvious progression and then... Once I decided officially, like, I'm going to be a film major versus a photo major, I kind of went, okay, well, I know there's a lot of moving parts in this. I kind of want to figure out what all those moving parts do. So I did a little bit of everything for a while. Like, I was a location manager for the SCAD Pilots. Right. I I was just going to mention
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were in class together, in Newton's class, that editing class. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. When I
0: was dying. Right. Because I remember you being stressed (laughs) out about it all the time. I was always stressed. It was a good time. It was a really good learning experience. Absolutely. Um, so I did that. I like did production design for a long time and just helped people with their sets in that regards. Right. I AC'd a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. I second AC'd a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. Um, which is, I actually really enjoy second ACing. I prefer it to first.
1: Oh, me too. Um, for sure. The, the, uh, the stress of focus is, yeah, there are a few people that can handle that. Mm-hmm. And luckily Tommy, Tommy Rogers, Tommy's the great Tommy Rogers King. is he's, like, he's a good boy. Yeah. We love him. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Tommy. Shout out Tommy
0: (laughs) Roger. If you need a good
1: first AC, hit him up.
0: Yeah, no, I think it was just kind of like. I tried to dip my toe in the water yeah. in a lot of areas and then just kind of ended up going, yeah, I, I should be camera. I think mm-hmm. I like camera. So gotcha. that, that was sort of the progression with right. it. But yeah.
1: Right. And you're obviously happy with that, yeah. that decision. Am, I'm yeah. actually
0: really interested in coloring right now. And yeah. I don't know. I like it. I've found a kind of a new interest in it. So
1: yeah. it's really important to understand as a DP.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy to like... I watched this really cool interview the other day. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. But mm-hmm. it was basically kind of almost like a a match, I guess is the best way to say it, mm-hmm. of a DP and a colorist. And it was an interview with a bunch of DPs who were kind of saying, like, it's really hard to be a DP in Hollywood now because, you know, a colorist can totally redo all the mm-hmm. lighting shot or like all the lighting in a shot that we plan and it's sort of invalidating certain parts of what we do as cinematographers or as gaffers. Hmm. And it was just really interesting. Right. And um,
1: the, the feelings in the industry and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, the feelings in the industry and to see how much, like, like DaVinci even as a software. Like, the free DaVinci software, you are so capable of doing yeah. so much. And it's crazy that... It's sort of reworking what you can mm-hmm. even do on set.
1: Yeah. And they've established themselves pretty good. Like they've beefed up their editing, mm-hmm. like separate from coloring, the actual editing part of DaVinci. Yeah. It's like definitely, I'd say, no contest, the best free editor out oh,
0: there. Oh, 100% for like, for free software. I had no
1: idea it existed until I came here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's the sad part, too, right. is like most people out in the consumer world would go, yeah. oh, I have to download Premiere. I have to download Final Cut. So I better save up, you know, a couple hundred bucks yeah where DaVinci exists as its own like free entity and yeah. most people don't know about it and it's yeah. a little different structure than totally. those softwares yeah but it's the capabilities of it as a free software are yeah. fantastic
1: yeah like it's no iMovie it's yeah. not like template editing where no, you no, just no. drag and drop yeah
0: this episode is sponsored by <laughs> yeah. DaVinci pro <laughs>
1: exactly oh man da vinci if you're listening hit me up i will hire happily me. plug you i will happily give them a plug um regardless of, like, what those people were, were saying, like, it's it's important to, to work mm-hmm. in close quarters with with your colorist because yeah. it can totally, totally 100%. change, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's good that you're learning that on your own.
0: Yeah, it's been fun, too, because, uh, you know, it's it's so important because they mm-hmm. have such an effect on that final outcome and on the yeah. final outcome of the footage you shot. Mm-hmm. So if you're not collaborating well with a colorist as a cinematographer... your footage can not end up looking like your footage.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. So now that you're learning mm -hmm. more, do you prefer working with a colorist or doing it yourself?
0: I don't prefer doing it myself yet because I'm 100% not as skilled as a real colorist would be. I like fiddling with it and kind of learning a little bit. And every now and again, I'll get to a few shots where I'm like, wow, I really like what I did here. Good (laughs) job, Taylor. Yeah, And then... I have worked with a colorist a few times where... They sit down with that same shot and in a fraction of the time it took me they get something fifty times better. I'm like, right. wow, I'm a stupid little earworm and this makes me sad. But you're fantastically talented. So
1: And that's what film school is about, that's is what finding film school those is people. About. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is supporting your fellow artists and yeah. working with them and learning to collaborate.
1: So I wanna read like the first sentence of your artist statement about fix the box because I think it I don't know, I think it really paints the theme of fix the box really well. Yeah. You said, Fix-It Box is a love letter to family and additionally to the deaf community. Tell me about this story and how you came to write it and eventually like why you decided to go back to directing for your senior thesis. Because as a DP, you could just, you know, shoot like three different seniors and you would still get your degree, still fulfill the requirement. Why go back to directing for this? But before you cover that... Uh, You know, tell me about the inspiration for it and all that fun stuff.
0: So uh, the story came around when I was in screenwriting last winter quarter. So in like January of 2019. And uh, fun fact, I got hit by a car while I was going down (laughs) Broughton.
1: (laughs) Which is like one of the main roads here. Yeah, it's like one of the
0: biggest roads in Savannah. And I was going through Broughton and I hit a little um, kind of pothole in the road while I was biking. And I fell off my bike. And the car that was behind me on the road continued driving. Oh,
1: good. And as they should have.
0: As they, of course, as <laughs> if they should. I was a roadblock. I'm so sorry for getting in your way, you dumb Prius. What if it was me? Prius. <laughs>
1: what it was me?
0: <laughs> um,
1: That's goodness. That's yeah. very scary. <laughs>
0: but I was I was not injured, I was bruised a little bit. But okay, the car ran over all of the stuff in my backpack including oh. hard drives and, like, my school Oh, and they fully supplies. just drove away? And they drove away. Yeah, mm, it was, a, it was nice. a hoot. Shout out to them. When we were in screenwriting, uh, our professor, Sadwith, who has been on the podcast before, James Sadwith. Love him. Shout out one of my favorite professors here at SCAD. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lovely, lovely human. One of our things was to write a story kind of based around a personal experience.
1: That's how I wrote my senior, was because of that prompt. Yep. So that's really interesting.
0: <laughs> and so my initial thing was kind of like, what if I had, like, a magic entity that could literally <laughs> fix anything that i had with just like the push of a button and so the fix it box is kind of a story that has that as like a very very rudimentary foundation right um but the you know the core of the story is family and loving yourself for who you are kind of thing which is something that my mom has always instilled in me my mom is like the best human being alive she's just the coolest human Mm -hmm. and has never once let me feel any less than I could be. Mm -hmm. And um, the deaf element was kind of never something that initially had to be there, but it worked for the story, and it outreached to a community that Mm -hmm. is super underrepresented in film and media. Mm -hmm. It felt like something that should go together. But in the story, like I've said before, um, Benton, the lead character, he could have been any kid. He could have been deaf he could have been gay he could have been african-american he mm-hmm. could have been suffering with anxiety and depression like it could have been anything he just happened to be this for the story mm-hmm. so yeah
1: so why why not find a director and then shoot it yourself
0: mm-hmm. so <laughs> the idea of not trying that you're not a great di- director no, 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 by no. the I, way
1: you're, you're a you're fantastic so director but you know you mm-hmm. obviously like i said have been primarily a dp
0: it was kind of one of those things where I probably wouldn't – I didn't initially want to direct it, but the more uh-huh. I thought about it, I was like, I, I really enjoy working with children who are the main cast of right. the project, and I really want to make sure – that I have an oversight that follows through every part of the film mm, right. and not just the onset part. I want to make sure that yeah. it ends up being what it can be and not just looks what it can be, but it mm. ends up being overall a film worthy of right. the potential kind that of thing. makes sense.
1: So, S- so yeah. are you, who is your DP?
0: Uh, Joe Russ.
1: Oh, great. Well, Joe Russ is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, But, is there any part of you that is like worried about not being the DP since you've had that luxury for so long? And are, are you like kind of really over his shoulder? Like <laughs> maybe. maybe we did this, maybe we did that, you mm-hmm. know? I
0: mean, there's ups and downs to it. I, right. there's a part of me fundamentally that's like, I want to be the one behind the camera. Yeah. Like I want to do all that. But, right. Um, it's fun.
1: It's a fun, it is fun. it's a fun job and to it's, have.
0: It's what I've, Come to really enjoy yeah. it at Scott. So um I think that part of me is present, but the definitely overpowering part of me is absolutely so confident in Joe because oh, he's I mean, a phenomenal DP and right. I trust he's amazing. He just is a great human being to yeah. begin with, but also a great cinematographer. So yeah. I think the part of me that trusts in him far far outweighs the very small green jealous giant in me (laughs) um right but he's been also really just great with collaboration and shot Mm -hmm. ideas and he's heard me out on a lot of stuff he's integrated some really cool ideas of his own and it just yeah further proves to me that he's the man for the job so i yeah i have no fears about the look of it perfect it's gonna be great he i iterated it again every time i see him i know that if he shot it on an iphone it would be right. the best thing yeah i just have full faith in him
1: before we dive into you know the other aspects of production you mentioned the inspiration for mm-hmm. fix the box what's the actual story you know what's the log line what yeah. exactly happens maybe don't spoil anything yeah but you know sure. what is the specific film about
0: mm-hmm. so um the film follows the story of benton miller He is eight years old. He's living in suburban Ohio and he is profoundly deaf, which Mm. means he cannot hear. And for all of his life, Benton has had a cochlear implant, which is a small device that goes Mm. on the side of your head. And uh, there's part of it that's surgically put in and an exterior part. And it is the story of how, on his way home from school one day, he finds a magical box in the woods and it has the power to fix anything he puts inside of it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just goes through his little adventures as he goes about his neighborhood. He fixes his toys, his his neighbor's stuff, his parents' things, his friend's stuff. Yeah. Um, and after kind of a particularly upsetting day at school, he decides he wants to try and fix himself. Mm-hmm. And as he gets in the box, he finds that he has seemingly reached the box's capabilities or its limitations and it doesn't fix him. It doesn't fix his hearing. And, uh, as he goes home, he runs into his parents who are there to remind him that he is their perfect child. Exactly the way he is. He, they don't want to change a single part about him. Mm. He's kind, he's funny, he's smart, and he's deaf. It's a part of who he is. Right. So, um, not, yeah, not
1: but he is deaf, but and he yeah, is deaf. It's yeah, it's
0: an and. Um, it's yeah. not a but. And so the, the story is a lot about coming to love yourself for who you are mm-hmm. and just how family is there for you kind mm-hmm. of things. Very happy Disney, good feelings
1: right. sort of thing. Yeah. But. Uh, like I said, I'm also directing a film that's super personal to me and inspired by true things. Um, you know, when you write a story like that, you want to do everything that all of your ideas. But sadly... Not everything can be done and things are cut and post and stuff like that because you realize like going throughout the, the journey of pre-production like mm-hmm. maybe this is too difficult to to shoot. Um, what are some of the difficulties that you've been facing mm-hmm. in pre-production and like how have you tackled those?
0: One of the biggest things that I had really wanted since the beginning was it was non-negotiable for me that the actor who played Benton be deaf in real life. Mm-hmm. You know there are films like A Quiet Place and shows like Switch at Birth that are integrating deaf actors to be deaf characters mm-hmm. but way too often they're bringing in hearing actors to play deaf roles and mm-hmm. a lot of my research and everything that I've done just to put forth in the film it's it's non-negotiable you wouldn't put yeah. you wouldn't put a white person in an African American role mm-hmm. you should not have a hearing actor in a deaf role it's a different experience it's a different um representation yeah and um it's inexclusive. exclusive it's yeah it's really sad that yeah. it happens so much and
1: so representation like that like that's yeah. that's a huge conversation mm-hmm. in um the entertainment industry right now was that non-negotiable because of purely because of representation or purely because that they understand the experience and can play the character better or was it a mixture of both?
0: It was 100% both. Okay. Just, I knew from the beginning that, you know, child actors are child actors. They're right. a force to work with in and of themselves. That's not a negative thing. Child actors are yeah. very truthful.
1: Yeah. But
0: sometimes they they complain nothing but the truth. And um, having a deaf child actor was mm. going to be the closest we could get to a genuinely truthful experience Mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff in the script is things that deaf children do go through like those emotions and those thoughts of feeling less than and feeling little because of this part about them and Mm -hmm. or feeling excluded from kind of the hearing world like even podcasts like podcasts is kind of the last frontier for the deaf community and there's not really a way to make that accessible right and things that Only a truly deaf child could understand and experience would really play into the role Mm -hmm. and the way he performed it. And also for representation, of course, we want to get more actors who are deaf in the working world Mm -hmm. and to showcase, yes, they are deaf, but yes, they are actors, more importantly. Like, that is... They are not primarily deaf. They are primi- primarily people. Hmm. And that was the most important thing to me is just having that.
1: So is it hard to find a deaf actor like in the area?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I 100% why people, I don't want to say cop out, but take the easy way rather than the yeah. right way when it comes to hiring deaf talent because they are hard to find. Yeah, Even through reaching out, we reached out to several different local deaf schools in the area mm. and out of state to reach out and ask for kids who were in their theater programs that might be interested in the part. We reached out for talent in California and Atlanta mm. and all the stuff. And we just, we got very little feedback or responses from people within the community. Um, and there are a lot of deaf actors, but a lot of them are older or right. you know yeah. more grounded. They're adults rather than yeah. kids. But we did have to reach out a lot. We ended up finding our our little dude, Caden, <laughs> our lovely, lovely lead actor. Um, and he came from one of the schools that we reached out to. And he's just, you can, there's ways you can hire actors. You can hire actors who can play the part and you can hire actors who are the part. And Caden K- yeah. is the essence of Benton. Like nice. he's, he's the kid without mm. a question. Yeah. And Was it like um, one of
1: those things where you saw him and you were like, yep. Yeah. It was like
0: the moment we met him, I went, there's no doubt on my mind. Here's your contract. There may be adoption papers in there. Don't look too hard. (laughs) Just Um, sign. Just Just sign. sign. (laughs) Just sign the dotted line. (laughs) Um,
1: Gotcha. Which was
0: really, really cool. Yeah. Um,
1: So is he local to Savannah?
0: He's in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. So he's he's a couple hours away, but it's not bad. Yeah. Really not bad.
1: Doable. Mm -hmm. Still doable. Do you have any expectations of the difficulties that you're going to face on set? Obviously, as we know... Things come out of nowhere and that we can never prepare for. But is there anything that you're like, that might be difficult looking ahead?
0: I mean, communication on set is going to be a difficulty in and of itself. We will have. Oh,
1: yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. We'll
0: have interpreters on set to help crew Hmm. communicate with Caden. And we may be having another actor who is deaf come in to play the father. But Mm -hmm. we have a really cool contender right now. But it's kind of one of those things that like nothing's in stone yet. But um yeah, communication is going to be a big thing. Right. And even simple stuff like, you know, on a normal movie set, when Genie and camera are moving things and they're calling points, they just yell a things. A child yeah. who is deaf cannot hear you call points. So if you're yeah, bringing like a C-stand yeah. and you knock out a, a little kid, Jeepers, creepers. No, so there are things hmm. that I am definitely not nervous for, but just have to be. Yeah even more mindful of on this set as mm-hmm. compared to a normal set. Um, I'm probably going to be very protective and hover mother over this child yeah, sure. just to ensure his safety, but his parents will be there as well too. Right. So, And the good thing is, is like I have an incredible crew. I trust mm-hmm. every single person on there to the utmost degree. Right. And I know that they would never do something to mess up and yeah, for sure. um and that they'll be incredibly mindful but yeah communication is something it's going to be a new experience we're having yeah. our crew learn some ASL like just basic terminology and things to That's say really cool. like excuse me and please and yeah. thank you and all these things i'm signing you can't you can't see <laughs> oh, it right. cuz this is a podcast yes, exactly. but um yeah so things like that that they can integrate with him when talking with him mm. just to you know, even if they're not fluent in any degree, if they can say, Oh, like, excuse me or I'm sorry, or stop, something's about to fall on you, like those things are gonna mm. make a big difference. Right. But yeah. is,
1: is the actor as deaf, I forget which word you use to describe profoundly. Profoundly. Is he mm-hmm. is he profoundly deaf like the uh character is? Yes. And okay.
0: what's really cool is he is very uniquely deaf in the sense of most people who not most people who are deaf, but a lot of people who are deaf uh, have cochlear implants right. and basically what that part what it does is kind of your cochlea is the thing in your ear that basically receives sound and acknowledges yeah. that sound is happening mm-hmm. and then it sends signals to your brainstem that say process this tell yeah. me what this is what mm-hmm. it means and Caden was born without cochleas which means oh, wow. he, he doesn't have the receptor in his brain that acknowledges sound. So he has a thing called Hmm. an ABI, which is like an implant that goes directly into his brain. Oh,
1: kind of like bypassing that. Yeah, it totally
0: bypasses the inner ear altogether and sends signals. He has like an external device that looks very much like a cochlear. Right. But it receives the sounds and sends it immediately to his brain stem for him to process. So he can hear... Sig- like sounds a little bit kind of okay. through that. It's something that children who are deaf, basically if they've been deaf for all of their life and then they get like a cochlear or an ABI kind of implant, it's not the fact that you don't know sound, I guess, but mm. it's more of you don't know what sound is and what it means all the time. So you mm. essentially start learning from the ground up. And mm. um, he got his ABI when he was five. Okay. And which means he had never heard a sound before Ever. And then suddenly when he was five year old, five years old, he started being able to hear auditory cues and your brain has to start relearning what all those things mean. For instance, like, you know, if you are walking down the stairs and you've never heard the stairs make sound before and suddenly you're right. You can register, like, oh, my my weight can make sound on certain things,
1: sort of. Um, Wow!
0: Welcome to the science part of the podcast. No, that's (laughs) so fascinating to me because,
1: I mean, that really emphasizes your point of like, Mm -hmm. well, that's why you need someone who has experienced that. Yes, because that no matter who the best actor is, Mm -hmm. like we just hearing people cannot begin to comprehend what that is like. Just like seeing people can't register it exactly. So, yeah, uh, that's just really interesting to me. I didn't know that um, you could. I mean, I guess I sound stupid, but Mm -hmm. like. I guess I was ignorant to the idea of that. You could just be born completely without that part of mm-hmm. your, you know, hearing system. I yeah, guess. I don't know. It's really weird. Wow,
0: and it's it's cool because he you know, he's different a little bit from the character in that he wouldn't have a cochlear implant, but he still has an implant, and they yeah. do very similar jobs. The, t- right. the the goal is the same. The way they approach the goal is different. Right. But Caden's ABI still allows him to hear some. He doesn't have full hearing, mm-hmm. um, but he can hear some. He can speak a little bit. He still primarily communicates through ASL. He yeah. goes to a school for the deaf, and it is very much the essence of the main character of Benton, yeah. which is... The, one of the reasons why I really wanted that is because Caden would understand better than any. Of course. The best actor I could find couldn't understand a deaf child's experience the way a deaf child could. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah I love that. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier about the outreach that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Can you run us through what that is?
0: 100% of the script. There are three main locations, and the one we spend the most time in is a uh, scene in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And we are going to have to set deck an entire classroom from the ground up, essentially.
1: So, is this a is this a period piece?
0: Uh, it is. It oh is boy. a 1998 oh, period wow. piece. Oh Okay, yeah. cool. But we're going to be getting a lot of school supplies to make it an essentially operating classroom yeah. Um, because the school that we are looking to film in is non-operational. They have furniture oh. like desks and things, but they don't have supplies.
1: Oh, uh, so they don't even have the basics. No. Oh boy.
0: Yeah. So we're going to be set decking <laughs> a classroom, but the wow. really cool thing is, is for all you Indiegogo backers out there. Exactly. Um, yeah. We'll
1: dive into that later for sure. 100%.
0: Yeah. When we get all those school supplies to create the classroom, Once production wraps, we want to take all of those school supplies and donate them to our own local school for the deaf here in Savannah um, just to be able to give back to that community that the story we're telling is about because we don't want to be the kids that, well, we're film school students and we're going to make a movie about deaf people and then walk away from it and never acknowledge that community again. Like We want to make sure that the impact of this film is not only in terms of art and they can be inspired or whatever but that There's we a physical as, tangible yeah, yeah we as a film community are actively and tangibly giving right. back to that community
1: yeah i think that's important because it can be very easy to um sounds harsh but put your head up your own ass and say like i'm inspiring people it's mm-hmm. like okay cool but what do you do with all the school supplies you know yeah. like i love that you're Acknowledging that at all, because mm-hmm. like you're not going to use it.
0: No, we would so, be throwing it out. Exactly, and yeah, that's sad. Yeah, to think, and it's it's something I would love to see happen on other productions, and yeah. especially with like student sets. Even yeah. like, I've seen some student sets that get so much production design or so much costuming, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things of yeah. I guess I'm just going to take it back to Goodwill after this. Right. When there are homeless shelters, there yeah. are women's shelters. There's all kinds of things that we could be doing. To not only be good filmmakers, but be mm-hmm. good people and give back to communities. So
1: yeah, absolutely. To do
0: more than art, to yeah. make life art.
1: Exactly. I yeah. like that. I love that. Hundred percent. Um, you you know you touched on the Indiegogo campaign. Your Indiegogo campaign is live. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, there's a link in the description, uh, of this episode. Why should people back to the campaign? What are some of the perks that they can get, and like, how is this money going to help help you out?
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of different perks you can get with the IndieGoGo. We have awesome digital art by mm-hmm. our illustrator Eliana. She is a fantastic artist, and I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be giving away a lot of her like concept art and original art pieces. Cool. We're going to be doing a T-shirt that's going to have the ASL alphabet on it that spells out his name or the sign for the fix-it box. I really wish you could see me signing. That's
1: cool. It's very impressive. I'll say that's the only person that can see you. It it looks good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love (laughs) that. I'm learning. Yeah.
0: (laughs) When people donate to the Indiegogo, the money that they are spending to get those perks or that they are just contributing goes to lots of things for us, like. Especially with safety, um, right? Yeah, big safety precautions. Things like permits on roads to make sure that cars aren't zooming down roads that we're filming, yeah. and police officers to block those roads. And things... police
1: officers, man, can that get expensive so Ooh. quickly? Ooh. It's crazy. Thank
0: you, police, for protecting us. But wow,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: you guys are expensive. <laughs> but um
1: totally worth it though totally worth
0: it it. 100% worth it but things like that things like interpreter fees yeah um something that we're doing to make the film accessible for everyone is that the entire thing will be closed captioned right from start to finish so that deaf audiences can also understand what's happening yeah and that has its own set of fees for Mm -hmm. closed captioning and especially with like asl interpretation kind of stuff yeah production design is a big element taking care of cast and crew making sure nobody's dehydrated or dying on set that would be great
1: (laughs) yeah probably for the best i just hate
0: it when it happens
1: (laughs) exactly such a
0: pain we lost
1: three people on boo and it was was just crazy
0: (laughs) then we had to have them play the ghost and it was just this whole snafu exactly
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: uh when you donate to the indiegogo you're not only donating to support artists but you're donating to promote safe filmmaking legal filmmaking. And accessible filmmaking for all different kinds of communities, which is really cool and fun.
1: I think on the indie level, it's really fun to say, like, we're just going to go steal this location and shoot things without permits. And, you know, that can be done with a DSLR and Mm -hmm. a friend. But safety is very important. And um, as we've seen in the past You know, a couple of years like that's kind of become more on the forefront of the film industry's mind because we've lost some people on some sets and we need to think about these things. So yeah,
0: you need to be taking your crew into consideration. You need to always put people before the project. Oh, yeah,
1: exactly absolutely no compromise on safety yes for a shot yeah it will never matter no Mm -mm. shot is that good no shot
0: is worth someone's life
1: yeah exactly so
0: this makes it sound like we're doing really dangerous things on (laughs) fix-a-box i would like to remind (laughs) this is a classroom scene (laughs) yeah
1: no of course but i mean (laughs) but
0: in general the process of filmmaking can be
1: yeah uh accidents happen you got heavy lights that people are moving heavy stands that are made out of metal like things fall Mm -hmm. you know it just happens so and I, and I think we can, like, as students, we can fall into the idea of, like, getting comfortable. Like, oh, I know how to set up a C-stand. Yeah. It's not going to fall over. I've got three sandbags on it. Well, like, things just...
0: Maybe you're out on a really gusty day. Yeah, and exactly. By golly, Mother Nature goes, I know you know how to set up a <laughs> C-stand, but... I don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to turn that flag into a sail.
0: <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your grip is flying.
1: Exactly. And it's exactly. a good time. So, no, it's definitely... Really important to uh, you know keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I said, there's uh, a link to the Indiegogo campaign in the description of this episode. I highly suggest you check it out. I will be donating, and I think everyone oh. else should as well. Um, I'm really excited to see it. Are you Are you shooting this quarter?
0: So, um, we are shooting the days immediately following the end of the quarter. So, like, November 15th through 18th.
1: Okay. Um, Nice. And
0: hopefully, we will then have all of winter break to edit, edit, edit. Yeah. And hopefully, it will be done by we'll have a cut at least together for sound and for color and everything. Cause sound design, that's the fun thing about this project too, Yeah. Is sound design is going to have so much room to play with. Cause mm. we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with his, with the characters, cochlear implant and, and his, like, perception his perspective. Of stuff, right. Yeah. I brought it up earlier, but very like a quiet placey when we jump right. into her perspective of things. Um. So they'll need a lot of time to do that. Yeah. And, I am more than happy to have them have a lot of time because mm. I will be busy, busy, busy. Hopefully on blueberries. Yeah, um, that'll be fun. Exactly. And yeah, hopefully it'll be done by around March of 2020. We'll have a wow, a like final fully cut, done. cut, cut. Yeah.
1: Wow. Because
0: then I'll Look be graduated and yeah. I'll be like, bye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See you later. So once you, uh, once you get that, you know, final like fully locked cut and the movie is completely done, what are your goals for it after? Film yeah. festivals and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I would really love to send it onto a film festival circuit. Um, I definitely want to see how it turns out before I get too confident and yeah, ambitious. Yeah, of course, for sure. But something I would personally really love to do and would love to put in the works is having kind of like a fundraising event at Caden's school to get other kids there and show them the film and show his family and you know if there's a possibility of raising money for like a theater program for them that'd be really cool be make really it like cool. a like a fundraising gala night but yeah. basically do it as a way to encourage kids especially kids like that that are going to specialized schools for mm-hmm. the deaf and for the blind to know that hey you know you're still as capable as any other person out there mm-hmm. and you should fully embrace the arts and i promise you like the world is changing like the world is getting mm-hmm. ready to embrace you back And if it doesn't, like force your way in, headbutt your way in there and make yourself known because you deserve to have your story represented on screen kind of thing. So I would really love for once once the film is done, you know, as a filmmaker, my my priority is film festivals, like get it seen, get it out there. But as like a human being, my priority is like show it to Caden and Mm. his classmates and his family and let them know hey like your story deserves to be told and you deserve to tell it kind of thing Mm -hmm.
1: so yeah that'd be a really cool experience it'd be so cool watch them experience i would
0: cry for years (laughs) that would if that goes according to plan i will have peaked i want everyone to know if march 2020 comes around and this fundraising event happens i've peaked don't ever talk to me ever again because i will be on such a low
1: exactly you're just (laughs) done you're just done um well, like you said, you're graduating in March, mm. which is crazy. It's coming up very soon. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, what are your post graduation plans and hopes and dreams?
0: Wow, that's a lot. I know. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of, of hopes and dreams. I Coloring has been really fun, mm-hmm. and it's something that maybe I take a big interest in down the line. Mm. I would really, I've actually been super interested. There's a photographer I follow on. Social media and their website is fantastic. And she is a professional BTS still photographer That's for cool. sets. And so her job is basically they will call her into productions and she's worked on Marvel movies mm. and literally everything between TV shows, yeah. Netflix stuff. Um and they'll call her in and basically in between takes or while cameras setting up and stuff, she not only does BTS of the crew and the cast together, but she will kind of replicate stills from the film right. so that yeah, they you were can, telling me
1: uh, yeah. yeah you were telling me how like those stills that we see like whenever they're uh, promoting a movie and stuff that's not like in camera stuff that's no. like her doing that yeah most crazy. of the time
0: um things you see in any kind of like promotional print ad or like posters and things those are not actually stills from the film or footage it is her essentially replicating yeah with the correct lenses and like equipment and stuff the shot Mm -hmm. so that she can quickly quickly edit it and distribute it to promotional material kind of things and i think that job is fascinating because you are actively involved on the set Mm -hmm but at the same time don't have like the pressure of the set which is really yeah, cool yeah you're kind
1: of you're like there's less overhead you're kind of just doing yeah, your own thing yeah you're
0: essentially your own entity and it's yeah. it's kind of a cool involvement between like photography and film yeah which is really cool and something i think i would be really interested in but mm. it's kind of one of those we'll we'll see where right. we end up you know we're really young we're like in our 20s yeah. and we could we be doing have to have something totally different you mm. know 10 years down the line you could be a cardiologist and I could be running a nudist colony. Well, Who that knows? is my
1: plan A. Yeah. That is my plan A. Amazing. So West. I'm hoping... you're going to make great money. <laughs> yeah. You
0: can make whatever you I want. I got to pay and... for this somehow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Taylor, I know you're going to achieve great things. Oh. I can't wait to see what Fix-A-Box turns out to be. Hopefully I can swing by set and take some Please pictures. Do. That would, I'd, It seems like a really, really cool experience and I'm oh. excited to see what you do. And I'd love to have you back on to talk about the post-production experience yeah. because I'm really, really interested in how the sound design is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Because like you mentioned, in A Quiet Place, that was like, it really came together in the sound design. So I think that's going to be like a really cool and unique experience. So um, I'm so glad we met in Film 100. Aww. Here we are four years it's later. So
0: sentimental. I know.
1: F- probably four years Like ago, to the
0: day, close. Right
1: now, we were like stressed out about Boo. Oh. and here we are stressed out about other projects (laughs) Um, so yeah again Indiegogo campaign link is in the description of this episode it'll be that first link that you see check it out donate them some money they need it they're doing good things with it and yeah thank you so much for coming on
0: thank you so much this has been a lot
1: of fun